The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Welcome to a Thursday Drive, where night to night, watching the ACC has truly become like predicting who's going to die next in a horror film. Robert, we all had this sense last night. Louisville survived a win in the 7 o'clock game. Miami rallied to beat Syracuse at 8 o'clock. And then you had North Carolina in the late game facing Notre Dame and South Bend. You just knew the Tar Heels weren't going to be so lucky. And they weren't. But here's the part that should disappoint Tar Heel fans most today. Their problems are still the same problems they had early on in the year. And at this point on the calendar... These are issues that are likely not going to be fixed this season. It is staggering to me that we're still talking about toughness and effort with this team. Listen to Hubert Davis last night talking about what the issues continue to be for North Carolina. Lack of communication, lack of talking, lack of energy, lack of effort, lack of toughness, lack of attention to detail, will and want to, desire, want to, um, sense of emergency, all those adjectives. How do you fix that? Better question, if the Kentucky game getting beat by damn well 30 points wasn't enough of a eye-opener, it wasn't enough to wake this group up and get them on the right track, well then what is? What makes you think that a loss to Notre Dame close in a game that you could have won, that's going to be the difference? Or really, any of these other games down the stretch of the season? This seems like, to me, what Hubert's trying to break is a bad habit. He's trying to break bad habits with this team. And as we all know, bad habits are hard to break. 336-777-1600 if you want in on today's show on Twitter at WSJS Sports. We'll get to football in just a bit. The defensive issues, that's been a constant. Even when North Carolina was winning games against Brown and the College of Charleston, they were allowing more than 75 points in those games. That has not been fixed. The switching, a problem, as North Carolina tried to switch one through four. The guys they were leaving open was kind of amazing. How does Nate Lachesky catch you off guard? That guy's crushed North Carolina the last three seasons, and you're leaving him open? What makes you think that gets better? And these really aren't the the type of problems you want to have when you're talking about a first-year coach. There are not really good reasons to believe that this is going to get better. If Roy Williams was still coaching this team, one of the five greatest coaches in college basketball history, sure, maybe those problems get fixed. Is it realistic to ask a first-year coach that's never done this before, hey, let's fix these problems, when many of the same problems Hubert's trying to fix with the same guys were the problems that Roy was unable to fix a year ago? Is that realistic to ask of Hubert Davis? There are going to be numerous speed bumps like this during the year. It's why I said at the start of the season, this is not an ACC contender, not with a first-year coach, 
not when we know pretty much all of the the moving parts here. We have a history with all of these guys. Even the transfers. We watched Brady Manick at Oklahoma. We saw Dawson Garcia play in the Smith Center earlier this year. You kind of knew what these guys were. We just didn't know about the freshmen. And it doesn't really matter about the freshmen because they still aren't getting into the game. Kerwin Walton, Dawson Garcia, Justin McCoy, Puff Johnson, none of them played last night. And we still only see Dontrez Styles and DeMarco Dunn for a combined 11 minutes last night. So these guys, they're not factors. So what's going to change in the next two months that magically makes this team start playing defense? And when they're not playing Duke, playing with great effort and toughness? I don't know. If it didn't get fixed after Kentucky, I'm starting to believe these habits are not going to get cracked this year. Let's go to the phones. 336-777-1600 if you want in and again on Twitter if you want in on the Tar Heels. Let's go to Ed and Winston-Salem, a Tar Heel fan. Okay, Ed, are you with me on this? I don't know if you've pushed back against me all year on this, but my opinion hasn't changed much on North Carolina. This is still a tournament team. They have too much talent not to get to that finish line, but this is not a contender for these problems that are still the same ones we were talking about in November. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said, uh, Josh. And the main thing that really disgusting and aggravating, and I don't know what other word I can use here, is the damn 14 turnovers and again giving up 13 threes. And like you say, you don't know they're not switching out. And what's more frustrating, uh, part of it's the coach's fault and part of it's the player's fault. I mean, if you, just let, just like you and Robert, you execute a plan, a game plan when you come in for your show. And if you do it right, it's going to be an excellent show. If you don't, it may be a so-so show. So what what I'm seeing is here is just poor execution. I mean, like Baycott coming out there and fouling a little guard and then Leaky Black blowing a layup and then Love and Davis making bad decisions and trying to go into the lane and make a shot when you got two and three uh Defenders, I mean, these things can be fixed, but will they be? Just like you said, will they be fixed? And that's all I've got to say. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Ed. Robert, talking about our show game plan, how great of the show? How great are the shows that Ed calls in and curses? Generally, that's a good start. <laughs> Ed was fired up. A lot of Tar Heel fans fired up today. 336-777-1600 once again if you want in. Getting to the Panthers, already missing Terrace Marshall Jr. The Panthers announced that Shai Smith won't be available, but in COVID protocols. He won't be available for Sunday's finale. Robbie Anderson likely not going to be available either. And it seems pretty clear to me, Bucks Panthers, clearly that's going to be the wide receiver missing in action that everybody's talking about in that game. Right? In all seriousness, from a Panthers perspective, the game really only matters from this standpoint. Carolina can't afford sabotaging its draft position with a meaningless win on Sunday. I'd be interested to know if you're with me on this because if Carolina wins, Robert, this is the good news. They are currently positioned sixth. They cannot fall further than that. They can't because the strength of schedule tie they would have if the teams that are right below them lose as well, would still give Carolina the sixth pick. That's the good news. The bad news is, if you if you win the game, 
you have no shot of having, say, the Jets or the Giants win in the final week against teams that are resting starters and climbing into a top five pick. They could still get to number four or number five in the draft. And moving one pick, that can make a massive difference. Think about it. Carolina won late in the year against Washington on the road. It was a meaningless win. If they lost that game, they would have been in front of the Detroit Lions and they would have drafted Panay Sewell. Sewell would have been available to them. And Panay Sewell, do I have this right? That he's been the best tackle a couple of weeks of the final season of the regular season? I think I saw Pro Football Focus say he graded out as the best tackle a couple of times in the final month. This guy's good. I don't know if I'd say he's the best tackle. I think that would go to Rashawn Slater, who's been everybody's perennial best offensive lineman that's a rookie. Is he playing guard or tackle? I forget. He is playing left tackle. How about that? But but Sewell's been really good is the point. You could have had a franchise left tackle, and then what are we talking about going into this offseason? Well, then you could really try to put your eggs all in the quarterback basket. This year, Like especially when you only have one pick in the top 100, like... You better if you plan to trade back. A top five pick has more value. A, t- a number four pick that that could grant you extra picks in the late first round or in the second round. A win wouldn't mean anything. Tampa's likely going to sit its players. What will that prove? I mean, Green Bay's already clinched home field advantage in the number one pick or the number one slot. They're going to get the buy. So I don't know what it grants you. I really don't. I feel like we had this exact same conversation last year, except for we didn't want them to lose the game because they're building a culture. Isn't that what we said last year? Oh, they they need to play hard these last games because they're building a culture. Yeah. And now it's like, ah, I hope we get a good pick and don't miss on it. Yeah. Like, I, well, I that's think, a bad look for the for the team, right? Like we we've just changed our whole expe- or expectancy. I don't. Know, I think bad teams do that. Like, ah, let's keep losing and get a better draft pick. Let's keep losing. Like, I I don't know. My I, opinion changed on it when they didn't get the tackle. Like the fact that that worked out really poorly, I, w- I would be willing to admit, I remember having that opinion. I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. If Carolina lost that game against Washington, then they get Panay Sewell, and their problem might be fixed at left tackle. Potentially, but uh, Panay Sewell wasn't even going to play left tackle for the Lions to start the year unless Taylor Decker got hurt. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm never for losing. And the good thing is, you got a lot of tackles in this draft, so I don't know if there's going to be somebody that you, you can't miss on at five, and then also somebody you can't miss on at wherever the hell they are at now at nine. Like I, I don't know. I probably would not be one with just throwing the game to throw it. Let's go to Daryl and Whitset. Daryl, what do you got on the Tar Heels? You know, that's the mic drop that I appreciate. I'd rather... Here's what people don't realize. That was not actually a phone dropping. That was actually just his his anger being bleeped out. That's what that was. Yeah, he is a locker room divider. He can be a problem. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Not going to lie, I don't have the TV on during the day when I'm prepping the show. Didn't realize till now that today's January 6th, the one-year anniversary of everything that happened at the Capitol. I don't know what you remember much about that radio show, Robert, a year ago, but I remember we did not talk about it the entire show until I think the last segment we we, we acknowledged it. And 
I, I remember the re- response to that was, thanks, because everybody, even sports TV shows and stuff, we're talking about it. We, we kind of just stuck to our guns because that was happening right when we were leading up to the show a year ago. It's kind of a crazy day. I could have gone a whole nother year without talking about it. All right, then we will stop. Let's get to unusual questions. Not really a good transition from that, but if you have unusual questions, essentially just an opportunity for you guys to ask us anything. We tend to have a lot of fun with it. 336-777-1600 and on Twitter at WSJS Sports. Let's play the game. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. Is that clip going to get old since Roy's not around anymore? Uh, I mean, people know his voice. I don't think him being gone for a year is going to make it not relevant. Yeah, give it another year or so, and maybe that'll be the case. Those are the kinds of problems you have when you're going into your fifth calendar year as a show. Longest-running local triad sports show. That's what we got going on. Let's get it started with the question that you teased going into the break. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, I don't know. I know fish have to eat, and I know they they get their oxygen through their gills. But, like, do they ever get thirsty? Like, do they have the feeling of, like, a thirst needing to be satiated? Because that would be great. I don't know. I feel like I'm thirsty all the time. Like, I could drink water whenever it's available to me. And I didn't know if fish have that same issue. Like, every other animal has to drink. Like, do they have a, a another need that has to be fulfilled since they don't get to drink water? Or naturally, through them breathing, are they hydrated that way? Do they know what water tastes like? Like, do they taste water? Or is it just something since they swim around, they don't even acknowledge? Maybe a better question would be, if you fed a fish Pepsi... Would they taste that? Do they even have taste buds to taste that Pepsi? I don't know any other. I don't know the answer. Hmm. I'd like to think the answer to that question is yes. I don't know that, but I'd like to think if they can eat and they do eat, that they also drink too. No, I think I'm agreeing they drink. I'm asking if they get thirsty, if they have that feeling. Because, they, I mean, they have to drink. It's going through their bodies all the time. It's necessary for their life. I'm going to guess and say yes. Would you guess that? How would they get thirsty if they're drinking the water all the time? I, I don't get, I don't understand. I need somebody well, who maybe Well, maybe they wouldn't get thirsty all throughout the day, but if they were a fish out of water, I'd imagine, are you thirsty in that spot? If you need water to live... Wouldn't that make you thirsty in that circumstance? I think it would make you oxygen-deprived first. So maybe it's like, can they smell it? I don't know. It's a really good question. It is an unusual question, too. We'll go from fish to sleeping with the fishes. Watch The Godfathers recently, one and part two. Some say Godfather part two better than the first one. How, what is the best sequel what's your favorite sequel where something is better this is the qualifier for it something is better the sequel than the original i think a lot in like stories 
that are like, uh, this is the the third installment of this, like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Like, I think Chamber of Secrets is better than Sorcerer's Stone. I think The Two Towers is better than The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, Chamber of Secrets might be my favorite Harry Potter movie. Now, let's figure this out, though. That Are we counting those as sequels? Since the first book is neither of those books, none of those books, except the last one, are close-ended at all. If it's all one close-ended story... I mean, we call it a trilogy. So yeah. What, what, like... I guess it does count. Yeah. So, that's a good example. I like the second Harry Potter. I like the second Spider-Man. I think uh, that Tobey Maguire Spider-Man was better than the original. The Dark Knight. That was a lot better than the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie that came out. What's that one called? Batman Begins? Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is better than the first Captain America. Mm. Um, oh, part two. Kill Bill. That's better nah, than the first nah. one. Not for me. Really? You don't get the closure in the I mean, first one. that's good. One. I don't always need the full story. Like Sometimes the story that's in front of you is the best one they can tell. So, I mean, I, I was cool with Kill Bill 1. I didn't need a 2. I appreciate that it's there, but I enjoy the Kill Bill on It's just the first one, the best. 336-777-1600. Let's go back to Robert Walsh. What's another unusual question? Do y'all tell y'all's masseuses to stop talking? Or if something's, like, hurting, they're doing it too hard, do you tell them to stop? Because I... It's yes for the first one and no for the second one. I've never had a masseuse. So I've got this really great girl I've been going to for probably like two years now. And she's great. The massage is great. Everything's fine. But she likes to talk the entire time. Oh. And half of the reason I go there is what to is kind of be about? like, just like, how was your day? How is this? What's Cheyenne doing? How are the cats? This, so she's, talk, she's asking about She's like you. being my barber. I don't. I don't need her to be my barber. Well, I don't need her to have a conversation with me. I've had barbers that have, who have a habit of talking about themselves and what's happening. At least they're asking about you. No, that's a plus. No, I. I came in. Why are you playing silent, like easing music? If you're just gonna talk over it and ruin my whole zen. That's a good point. But also, when she gets going, like, and something hurts. Like, I always have the, the urge to be like, ah, uh, don't go that hard, or oh, and don't right there. But, like, I feel like as a man, I cannot complain about her hurting me. So I always just sit there and grip my teeth or ball my hands up or grab the table or like really? whatever. It's 2022. You can push back on that. Nah. Nope. Can't be a weenie. So that's how you answer the question. You can't say to the masseuse, nah, you're going a bit too deep. Nope. Not unless it's like pain, like super pain. But like if you're uncomfortable, I'm is not it gonna strange? Say I've never had a professionally done massage. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Yeah, no, never tried it. All right, last one I have here. Who is the person on Twitter that makes you unfollow whomever retweeted them into your timeline? So, a way for you to gauge whether or not somebody's worth following is based on them retweeting person X that you don't like so much that if they appear on your timeline, you're figuring out why. 
Mm, that's tough. I did probably like 2020 or 2019. I did a really good cleanse of like Facebook, Twitter, where I, I just don't see things that I don't want to see. Never but something Facebook. that would make me uh, know how many change, like if I followed you or not. If somebody's like retweeting people from like Politico, like if you're retweeting somebody from like Fox News or a politician or somebody saying something along those likes, I, I'm probably going to unfollow you. Just because I, if I was yeah. supposed to know about it, I would know about it. I don't need to see it. I'm on Twitter for sports updates and funny memes. If people are, yeah, just retweeting political either side like stuff yeah of, i could care less what what your what your political stance is yeah like, i just don't i just don't want to see it this is why this bill needs to be passed out i'm just out i don't want to hear about that bill i'm sorry not not my bag that's not what i'm here for for me if we're talking about it from a sports context it's rovell or bayless if i see darren Ravel or skip bayless on my timeline Odds are I'm going to be investigating who's retweeting it, namely Bayless. If Skip is appearing on my timeline, I have some questions about who is feeling the need not only to say they like or dislike Skip Bayless, but so much that they need me to see it as well. That's probably the pick for me. And that has been Unusual Questions for today. Tries to be funny. Obnoxious. It really is obnoxious. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. After seeing Louisville struggle at home with Pittsburgh and North Carolina lose on the road at Notre Dame, I think I've seen enough. There is no excuse for Duke not to win the Atlantic Coast Conference this year. I'm not just talking about the regular season, but the ACC tournament as well. Because nobody is close this year. Who is the team you would argue over a 20-game ACC schedule, or however many games you're able to get in, is going to be better than Duke? Maybe the Louisville Cardinals? See, Louisville, not great last night, found a way to win the game against Pittsburgh. They only play Duke once, and that game is at Louisville. So if they win that game and have a tiebreaker, then maybe perhaps it could be Louisville. But it's crazy to think Coach K, been around for a while, been pretty good over the last dozen years too, has not won the ACC regular season one time since 2010. That's a crazy stat. Won the ACC title in Greensboro in 2010, Won the national title with that John Shire, Nolan Smith-led team. They won in Indianapolis. After that, that's when you started to have the one-and-done teams. You had Kyrie Irving that you're recruiting. Then after that, it was Austin Rivers, so on and so forth. And because you had these younger teams, it was more difficult for Duke to be ready to play conference games and to have a better conference schedule over the span of a season than if your guys were older and ready to go when January arrived. It took longer for younger teams to be ready to go. So that was a crazy ACC stat, and I think Duke should shatter that this year. Duke should win the ACC. I don't know who's going to be close in that. They also should win the ACC tournament because we know this. The ACC tournament still matters a great deal to Coach K. 
To some, they downplay the ACC tournament. Not Coach K. He always speaks really highly of it, and he backs up his words with competitive teams that play really hard wherever the tournament is. This is the other crazy stat I had cooked up and that I promised. The last time Duke lost in the ACC tournament was in Brooklyn in 2018. It was in the semifinal to North Carolina. That's the last time Duke lost an ACC tournament game. Because think about it. 2019 was Zion. They won in Charlotte. Beat North Carolina in that classic semifinal. Beat Florida State in the championship game. 2020, they never took the floor. Florida State was getting set to tip off with Clemson when everything got nuked on that Thursday. Duke was set to play later that day. They never even arrived in Greensboro. And then last year, Duke, not a really good basketball team at all, played on Tuesday. I think they hammered Boston College in the first game. In the second game, they beat Louisville and... Mark Williams broke a freshman rebounding record, single-game record, that was set by Ralph Sampson. He had 19 rebounds in the same game. Beat Louisville, and then Duke's season was suddenly over because of COVID. So the last time Duke lost an ACC tournament game was in Brooklyn in 2018, and fittingly, the tournament's going to be in Brooklyn this year, where Duke also won the ACC championship in 2018. 16 and 2016, they won the ACC championship there. So Duke is going to be a draw wherever they go, especially in Coach K's final year, particularly in Brooklyn. A lot of Duke fans live in the Northeast. There's going to be urgency both in the regular season and in the tournament, knowing this is Coach K's last year. You can feel it just being in the building game to game. So I don't see an excuse. Duke's just a lot better than everybody else, too. There's no excuse... For Duke to not win the ACC and to not win the ACC tournament. On Twitter, at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600 if you want. In that way, how about we go to the phones before we get to this Aaron Rodgers update. Joey in Thomasville, once in on North Carolina. Joey, tough loss for them last night, North Carolina. What's your feeling on it today? Well, well, first of all, first of all, you know, what you just said about Duke, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Do you disagree anyway, with it? I, well, yeah, a little bit. Let me get there. First of all, I want to say today's a great day to have a great day, and this is also a great year to have a great year. So, first of all, I know it's a little bit later, but I still want to wish you and Robert and the whole crew there a happy new year. I appreciate all that y'all do. Thank you. Now, getting into the crux of the matter. I mean, how many times have we got to go through this? How many years do we have to go through Duke having the number one recruiting class? I mean, the two best days for Duke fans are National Signing Day and Draft Day. That's it. Because they've got nothing more to celebrate. This has failed time after time after time. I've said it for many years. Listen, I've got all the respect in the world for Coach K. He is one of the best coaches to ever you know, coach college basketball. But I believe, seriously, that years ago, he just decided, hey, I'm just going to recruit the best talent. I'm going to roll the ball out there, and good luck, and see what happens. And it has not worked. Carolina, I really believe – my my expectations are – I've gotten older, okay? 
And so I just appreciate good basketball. Notre Dame played a good game last night. That is not, as you said earlier, it's not an embarrassing loss. I disagree with them. And I like that he said that because that tells me that their expectations of a team are higher. But that was a tough game. It was a good game. Everything about it, I mean, you know, Notre Dame just played well, just played a little bit better than we did. I think our ceiling is high. I think that as the season goes on, you will see a better North Carolina team. I think that Duke, until they prove me wrong, I think there's going to be so much pressure on these kids this year because it is Coach K's last year. You get them in a tight game, especially in the ACC tournament or the NCAA, I'm really curious as to what they do. They've got a lot of talent, but, again, this has been done year after year after year, and it has gotten them nothing. Well, I will say this, though, Joey, and I'll keep you here for a second. I, 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 this is the first year I've picked Duke in a long time, and I'm the first one to bring up bring up that fact that they haven't won it in a long time. Uh, but this year, you don't have Virginia, and you don't really have Florida State, who look the part in North Carolina – has a first-year coach with a team that has many of the same parts we saw last year that was very underwhelming. So it's 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 half about Duke and the talent, but the other half of it is really who's the competition that's going to leap up and grab it from them when Duke now is going to play with more urgency than they normally do in the regular season because it's Coach K's last year. Well, and, and if you're talking about the ACC, I don't have a lot of disagreement with you. But if you're talking about NCAA tournament, and, you know, I, I'm a fan, you know, and, and short for fanatic. I'm, I love my team, and I hate the other team or dislike strongly the other team. If you're talking about the NCAA tournament, that's where all I've heard is this is their year, they're going to win it all, blah, 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 they're going to send K out on a championship. I just have a hard time believing that. I'm, if you're talking about the ACC. That's all I'm talking yeah, about. I, I think, Okay, I, then yes, I think that Duke is, is better than the other teams, including Carolina. But we're still going, we're still going to sweep. Yeah, anyway. yeah. All right, we'll see uh, what happens, but, Joey. I'll make sure to hear from you then when that happens, and appreciate the nice words too. But yeah, that's all I'm talking about. The ACC. My fear would actually be with Duke because of that pressure you're talking about when it's a you lose and your season's over type deal, and 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 the NCAA tournament, and on top of that, a league that probably. It's not going to prepare you for the best of what college basketball has to offer. I would be concerned about Duke when we get to March. I don't know if I'd pick this Duke team to win a national championship. But to win the ACC, no excuse if you don't win the regular season title. No excuse if you don't win even the ACC tournament in Brooklyn this year. That's how I feel about Duke. All right. One more note on the ACC before we move on to Aaron Rodgers. Is Miami good? But How good is Miami? Because that's what's up next for Duke. Last night, <laughs> Syracuse led big against Miami, and then Miami came raging back, just like NC State led at Miami last week, and then Miami did the same exact deal. At some point, you got to respect the record, and Miami has the best record in the ACC right now. 4-0 in the ACC, and 12-3 and overall. They're going to Cameron Saturday night. Maybe it's going to be shades of Reggie Johnson and company going in there and getting a win. We'll see. 8 o'clock at Cameron Indoor Stadium. One more thing on the ACC uh, title race, though. One area that Duke got an advantage last week, not willingly, but just out luck of the draw, when they had COVID issues 
The two games that were postponed, that's going to be difficult to make up, by the way, were two road games, not home games, road games against decent teams. At Notre Dame, who we saw last night against North Carolina, and at Clemson, who's off to a decent start too. So those are two road games that Coach K might not have to play by season's end. Might be a break that they catch in the league standings. He's got a lot of knowledge about things I'm curious about, and he's cool. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. You can listen to this guy each morning here on WSJS Sports. It's West Durham, one half of Packer and Durham, 7 to 10 on the ACC Network and here on WSJS Sports. Wes, I want to get into a lot of college hoops with you, but before we get into the actual basketball, we need to talk about the ACC's Don King, Steve Forbes. On your show about a month ago, he unveiled the Cousin Eddie hat, and they were supposed to hand out Wake Forest Santa hats for a game that ended up being postponed against Boston College, and now... We're talking about Deacon Dega with T-shirts that are just outstanding that they're going to be giving out uh, Saturday afternoon against Syracuse. Can you think of a better promoter of basketball in the Atlantic Coast Conference of late than Steve Forbes? Well, it helps if you win, right? I mean, <laughs> you, you throw a few W's up there and all of a sudden, you know, you could you can get away with just about anything. No, I, I think it's great that he's, uh, that he is out front as much as he is, and I think he likes to have fun. He's great fun to visit with. His team happens to be pretty good this year, too. Um, so, yeah, no, it's awesome for Wake Forest, and and in some ways it's kind of a flashback to the uh, early 80s of the ACC when we had Crumbs and Valvano and the new guy Duke Krzyzewski, who nobody could pronounce his name, and Bobby still can't pronounce his name. Um, hmm. But, uh, no, I, I think it's a flashback to uh, – God, hard to believe, 40 years ago. But in, in some ways, it's uh, it's reminiscent. But it's just in a different way. And Steve deserves a lot of credit. And so does John Curry and his staff at Wake Forest for for buying into his enthusiasm for his program. And, you know, like I said a moment ago, it also helps when you win and you got a pretty good team. And I think he does. I was thinking about that the last few weeks I've been at Cameron. When I went before the Virginia Tech game and I see Mike Young right as the crazies are arriving waving at the students while eating a thing of popcorn a few hours before tip. And then at Cameron the other night, a game that you were calling, listening to Josh Pasner uh, describe almost bringing in Bobby Crimmins to surprise Coach K and him wearing that Mm -hmm. face shield and looking like he was trying to play man-to-man defense on Paulo Boncaro in the second half and you know, things kind of got weird where he sounded like a NASCAR racer thinking his sponsors in that post-game presser. This league's got characters again, and I think that's a really good thing moving forward in an age where, in a few months, we're neither going to have Roy Williams nor Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah, and Kevin Keats is going to be the senior most uh, coach in the state of North Carolina. Yeah, remind Keats of that next time you talk to him. He, he's a big fan of that. Um, <laughs> he, he looked at us in October when Packers said, hey, by the way, you know, you're about you know, 10 months away from being the senior most member of uh, ACC basketball in the state of North Carolina. And he said, holy smokes. Um, I, I think you've got to look at 
this is a transitive time in Atlantic Coast Conference basketball. And, you know, there's no script to this. I think we all thought we'd get a script, but there's really no script to it. And, you know, Roy stepped away at the conclusion of last year. This is obviously Coach K's final line. Um, you know, and then we've got to be honest with ourselves. Where, where's Jim Beheim? Where's Larry Nagin? Some of this. Um, you know, and it's a different world coaching now uh, for a lot of reasons. But uh, but we've been fortunate and been, been spoiled with great coaches, and I think we've got some really good young ones here as well and some guys who've, you know, been at their respective places going on a decade. In the case of Brad Brownell, who's Clemson's all-time winningest coach, and by the way, they're most successful by a long shot. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot to look at in terms of the future of ACC basketball. This might not be a great year come postseason, Josh, but I think it's a if it's a bridge year, I'll take it because I think we've got really competitive games that uh, are going to make for an incredibly entertaining season before we're done. Wes Durham from Packer and Durham joining us here on WSJS Sports. I want to transition that to just how good Wake Forest is because when you talk about how much different the job of basketball coach is, the reason I buy Wake Forest this year and also what Forbes is building moving forward is because of one piece of his resume – that is starkly different than every single coach in this conference, and that's 11 years coaching junior college. The reason that Forbes right. is so comfortable with the, the amount of movement and, and how fluid things can be year-to-year year with his roster and the one-time transfer is because that's exactly what he thrived in in junior college. I think the rest of the ACC combined among the head coaches, speaking of that Kevin Keats guy, has one year of JUCO college experience. Kevin Keats had that one year in the mid-1990s. That's why I buy into mm-hmm. Wake. How good are you willing to say Wake Forest is? Well, I think when you and I talked about that particular trait with Steve, right, you know, a month ago when I saw him for the first time, and, you know, it's not an original thought. I got it from talking with a, a, a former coach, and, and then Seth Greenberg kind of validated the thought for me in a conversation he and I had just about Steve's junior college background probably being really opportunistic in terms of the building that had to occur at Wake Forest. You know, let's be honest, that is that is clearly a strength of his, is evaluating talent and understanding the short-term nature of it, right? Uh, he also is smart enough to know what the fit is. What And we asked Jake LaRavia about this this morning on our show. What is it about Alondis Williams and Dallas Walton that made it a fit for you to come to Wake Forest, you know? And Jake said, well, you know, no matter where you go, sometimes basketball is still basketball. And while that may be true, clearly those three guys in particular have excelled based on just the opportunities and the system that Steve puts in place. I think there's a lot to be said about what Kevin Keats is doing, trying to grow the program, and occasionally he puts a um, a junior college kid in there or a grad transfer or a transfer out of the portal, whatever the case may be, a lot of guys are going to have to adapt somewhere in their systems or in their structure of their organization, Josh. I think they're all going to have to come to the fit evaluation piece of this. I, I, it's funny, this conversation I had a decade ago with somebody in the NFL about building the 53, and you've got to have – you know, the story about, you know, the guy that worked at a department store, drove a truck, delivered mail, pumped gas, whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden he finds a place with a certain team in the NFL, right? We've all heard those stories. Um, it's a little bit like that right now in college basketball. 
locate, let's say Josh Graham is coaching the team, and all of a sudden you had three guys go in the portal and they've left, so now you got to go find, let's say, a six six wing guy. Well, just any average Joe six six wing guy may not be the guy you need. So how do you go about evaluating and making sure the fit works and all those type things? That's the trick. That's the secret sauce for success like Steve Forbes has had. He knew he could get, you know, Laravius, what, 6'7", something like that, handles the ball in the perimeter, can get to the basket, that kind of thing. But you had to go find the right 6'7 guy. You just couldn't take the 6'7 guy, the first guy you ran across over there in Clemens or, you know, Tobaccoville or whatever the case may be. You had to find the guy that was from, you know, second team all Missouri Valley a year ago, that kind of deal. I, there's just something about the evaluation process that still counts. And like I said, a decade ago, I heard it about the NFL, and it's funny how the circle in your broadcast life sometimes changes and sometimes how it connects. And I'm, here, I'm having the same conversation again now about the way this works in college basketball. Wes Durham with us here. Let's transition to the NFL since you brought it up. You are the mm-hmm. voice of the Atlanta Falcons in addition to what you do with the right. network and also – what we listen to each and every morning here on SJS. So the Panthers are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday, and I think one side of the story is a little bit more interesting than the other side. Antonio Brown, obviously not a part of the team anymore, and I think there are two parts to this story. What actually happened that we all saw and what we heard after the fact, both with Bruce Arians' comments and Antonio Brown, what he posted on social media, And then there's the reaction to this story from folks on the outside like you and me. What have you found more interesting this week? Um, That somewhere in the middle of Antonio Brown and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is the truth. (laughs) I mean, it's really kind of like a he said, she said, isn't it? Um, You know, the way it happened and the way it went down, that doesn't really surprise me with Antonio Brown. I mean, he's got... All you got to do is, you know, Google Antonio Brown in drama and you can you can get a, a wide variety of, uh, you know, of tales of, you know, Antonio Brown doing things on and off the field. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to me, Tampa Bay, you know, miscommunication, the fact that there's some paperwork now involved in this and they can't cut him and they want to cut him. Look, that's all the that's all the kind of the collateral of the NFL. Okay. That's the difference between collegiate sports and pro sports. Cause you got a union and you got a player uh, owners association. So that'll work itself out, but you know, Tampa Bay needs to get it fixed to make sure that they've got everything taken care of. They need that. It doesn't take their eye off the target, which is I'm sure to repeat as Super Bowl champion. You know, that's just part of the deal. Antonio Brown is talented, but it comes with a cost. Like Terrell Owens is talented, Chad Johnson's talented, but it all comes with a cost, okay? And you sign those guys, you know that at some point you're going to have to pay. And now Tampa's paying. For the most part, Tom Brady's been able to keep Brown, pardon the pun here, had the volume turned down on Antonio Brown, right? Mm. But, you know, you never know when somebody's going to reach over there and turn it all the way up on the stereo. Well, somebody turned it all the way up on the stereo and he decided to you know, hand out his jersey and pads and shirt and wristbands as souvenirs the other day at MetLife on his way to the locker room. So um, the funniest thing the funniest thing to me on the whole deal, Josh, is he asked the state troopers for a ride to the airport and they wouldn't give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, 
what's the holdup? I mean, he was done way before the team had to leave. They could have zipped him down to Newark and, you know, he'd have been fine. So I, uh, you know, that, but it'll take care of itself. And will it be clean? I'm not sure of that because there's some, there's some real, he said, she said here, and I gotta be honest with you. Anytime there's medical involved in the NFL, um, as I think Damian Woody and some other guys have said on social media, there are two versions of the story when it comes to medicine in the NFL between players and, and the team and people, if you don't think players play against their will sometimes, then you're sadly mistaken as to what professional football is. There are guys who I think play against their will sometimes because, you know, take the, take any movie about football, any given Sunday, North Dallas 40, any of those. That's that's the way it, sometimes it does go. Not often, but that is the way sometimes it does happen. Wes, getting to the football aspect of it on the way out, what is the collateral damage of not having – that guy on the field now a week after they lost Chris Godwin for the season. Can Tampa win with the weapons they're now missing? Well, yeah, because they've still got 12. Josh, I mean, look, think of the guys who have become household names because they play with Tom Brady. And they've had a month and a half. They've had six weeks. They've had three weeks. They've had two games. They've had one game where Tom Brady has made them a star. I mean, he's still got three legitimate tight ends last time I checked, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's got plenty of wide receivers. He's still got Mike Evans, doesn't he? I think Mike Evans is still around. Mike Evans is still around, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Mike Evans is, in my book, one of the top ten guys in this league. Um, you know, they can still run the ball last time I checked. And, oh, by the way, they're, they're not bad defensively either. Don't ever forget that part. I mean, Devin White's going to play eventually. I mean, they're going to be fine. Tampa, Tampa is, in my opinion, the favorite in the NFC to repeat. And I've seen them live twice and been impressed both times with their depth and their flexibility and all those things. And by the way, the last time I saw them, they didn't have Antonio Brown because he was, I think he was uh, on some sort of uh, <laughs> paid leave for uh, some vaccination card he either did or did not obtain. So there you go. Yeah. And again, Again, more drama. Remember? I mean, that's all it is, is drama. Yeah. So, but you sign up for it. When you sign him, you know what you're signing up for. So there you go. You're, you're also signing up for lack of self-awareness where, hey, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. point, point at Alex Guerrero saying that I this guy charged me and he didn't get me give me something. And if you go just on the Google mm-hmm. machine and search Antonio Brown payment, you, you might find out that maybe A.B., isn't yeah. the best at uh, shelling out cash he's supposed to either. All right, Wes, we look forward to listening to you in the morning. And you got Notre Dame-Georgia Tech on Saturday. Thanks for the visit. Really do appreciate the time. Anytime, Josh. You guys be well. Happy New Year.